powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please, everyone, sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a massive thank you to my last guest, Alexander Randazzo. What a great guy. The movie Lonesome Soldier was released on February 6, 2024, and the episode was incredibly popular. If you have not heard our very in-depth interview, and I do mean in-depth, I strongly advise you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 227, and we have a great episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Ren Martinez. Now, Ren is a popular musician known previously as Ren Farron and known for such groovy songs as Waiting to Ignite, Uncool, and her signature tune, Good Girl. Ren will be discussing her origins in the music business, her time at the prestigious Popular Music Performance Program at the University of Southern California, and she will also be diving into her back catalog and spilling some details on her upcoming new album, Fingers Crossed, coming out sometime later in 2024. Let's not waste a moment longer and get Ren out here. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show calling in today from Los Angeles, California, Ren Martinez. Ren, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? It's good. It's cold, but it's sunny and beautiful. So with the pandemic winding down, how was it for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? I had a really tough time with the pandemic and with lockdown personally. I know it was hard for a lot of people, and I know I'm not alone in that. Um, for me personally, I... I'm really, I'm an extrovert and I love being around people. And as a musician too, my whole kind of career and social life all wrapped up in, in being in rooms with a lot of people at one time and having that kind of disappear really like overnight was definitely mentally, I think, tough for me and tough for a lot of people I was close with at the time too. So it was really hard and I I very much now, you know, every time that I'm at a show with a lot of people, I, I'm not taking it for granted anymore. I really do think about how much better it feels to be able to live life in community like that. So um, I'm happy. I'm happy that the worst of it seems to be over. All right. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? I was born here. Uh, I was born in... Uh, St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica, and I grew up in Malibu, so just about an hour from where I live now, and 
it was a really, really incredibly beautiful place to grow up. Really just like a very small town, all things considered. I know it has a bit of lore attached to it, but there's about 13,000 people that live there. And there was like, you know, one public high school, everyone knew each other, not a lot to do there except for be in nature. So it was really like, it reminds me of like, you know, a teen television show about people living in a small town where kids are just like showing up at each other's house and like driving around and those are their life activities. That was kind of all we did. But it was a beautiful place to grow up and it was it was nice to be close enough to the city to still feel kind of like there was a lot of possibility there, but to be secluded and get to grow up in a pretty like out of the way little place around everyone you knew. So it was it was a good beginning for me. It was really lovely. Uh, what were your earliest career aspirations? I really wanted to be a singer from a very young age. I think when I was like really little, my top three career choices were singer, actress, or marine biologist. Those were the three things that I had on my mind which, you know, I still fantasize sometimes about being a marine biologist, but I think I re really have to get at least one whole other degree, if not multiple, to pursue that. But I've, I've always really wanted to be a singer. I think the older I've gotten, the way that it's kind of changed and evolved is the songwriting piece of it that's come into play. I think I didn't necessarily have the confidence as a kid to think that I would ever write my own songs. I actually did do it as a little kid, but they were, you know, really bad. And I was still, I was scared and kind of embarrassed, but I thought it was fun and I would make up songs with friends and stuff. But I think it took a while for me to really start honing that oft because it was really scary and I, it's still scary now to write songs and it's one of, it's like i think any kind of writing or really probably anything creative there is this sense sometimes where just because you've done something before doesn't mean you feel like you're going to be able to do it again and i still feel that with songwriting but now i have enough of it under my belt that i've, I've proved myself wrong in thinking i'd never write anything again so the songwriting piece of it came a bit later even when i was like a really tiny little child. I always wanted to be a singer. It was always like my favorite thing to do and the thing I had the most fun doing and, and I knew I was good at it. So I, I, I knew I maybe had a chance even when I was a little kid. So singing is something you took to from an early age then? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up doing it and grew up in a really like musical home. Kind of everyone in my family was singing all the time my extended family too, a lot of singing going on. And, you know, a lot of my uncles were like involved in the church and they would like to sing in church and things like that. And we didn't do so much of that, but, you know, my parents both, both lived in LA in like the seventies and eighties. And they were huge into the whole kind of like Laurel Canyon folk rock scene here. And that's such a big part of who they are. And they passed that on to me and my sister and my brother too. So always a lot of like Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown and 
the Eagles and Bonnie Raid and artists like that really a huge part of what we were kind of immersed in growing up. So it was a very like musical home always. Favorite memories from the University of Southern California? Um, man, <laughs> so many really good memories. I was in music school at USC and I was in a program with a lot of really just absolutely insanely talented people and you know, these people are doing completely crazy things now. I have friends playing for like absolute superstar artists and I have friends that are superstar artists now. It's been really amazing to get to see it happen. And we all spent college just like playing shows all the time. And there was these like little venues at USC that you could book and it was a lot easier to book those than it is to book venues in LA we had one venue called Tommy's place that was like, you had to take an elevator and it was like five levels underground. I think that was kind of the main place people would play. And at a certain point, somebody said like, we realized it must've been like a cold war bunker. We think because we think it was built around that time and it was just completely inexplicable why it was like so deep underground under all this concrete and kind of like a weird place for a bunch of college kids to be like playing shows. But, um, I think a lot of my favorite memories happen there happen at that little venue, Tommy's place. Well, you mentioned it briefly. Talk about your time in the popular music performance program. Yeah, it was a really crazy time. Um, it was really small. So we had like 25 kids in a class, I think, at the highest number. And when I started there, I was only in the third year ever. So there were sophomores and juniors, but there was no senior class when I started. The first students were, were in their junior year. So... I kind of joined a cohort. There was 75 of us all together and, and no graduates and no kind of idea of like what it would mean to anyone to, to go through that program and come out the other side. We all were really close. Like even if not all of us were best friends with each other, there was like a real familial thing going on there that I think I still feel even now with everyone I was there with. It was really crazy. I mean, there was parts of it that really were truly just like school of rock. If it was a bunch of college students instead of 10 year olds, like we were learning how to play all different kinds of music. I studied songwriting there with like a, a sect of my class and people were teaching themselves how to produce, how to use pro tools, how to engineer, how to record. And it was really like, kind of just an amazing environment to be in with people that, you know, wherever they were coming from, whatever walks of life they were from, wherever in the country they were from, you know, if they'd ever, you know, a lot of people from New York or LA, a lot of people who'd never been to New York or LA before, but people who are really, really talented and just like, had decided like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to make a go of this, which is a scary decision to make. So it's kind of an interesting group of people that that have made that decision that will be together like that. I think one of the really cool things about it 
is that the teachers that were there when I was there really like impressed upon us the importance of being good to each other. That was always like a really big part of our instruction, honestly, was like, you have to be respectful. You have to be kind, like this type of work, these types of jobs, like it's not only the right thing to do, but it's also the smart thing to do if you want to get hired. The idea that like being too cool or being an asshole or being above other people will make you seem appealing is like actually a really, really risky way to go about like pursuing life in the arts. And I think it was like made really clear to us and just reinforced by our own experience that like the more supportive we were, the more reliable we were, um, the more we looked out for each other, like the better time we were having. So I think that was maybe kind of the most special part of it was like, there was a lot of real kind energy there too. And I think that also does persist even now. There's just like so much support at all levels um, and people still showing up for each other and even, you know, I'm however many years out from graduating and I still see all those people really all the time. Like we don't really need a reunion because we're always together anyway. So it's, it's pretty cool. Name drop. Who's the most successful person to ever come out of that class? <laughs> the most successful, you know, like artists or bands, Remy Wolf, who was a couple of years under me. She's huge now and played Coachella last year. And she's also so cool. Muna, that band has been massively successful. They're like, I think they already have opened for Taylor Swift and, you know, they have a huge following of their own. They're, they're incredible. My friend Brian, who produced the album I just made, he's on tour with Paramore right now, but he's also toured for Gwen Stefani. He's played in Vampire Weekend for a few years. There's people playing with like, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, a, a girl the year below me is in Taylor Swift's band. So it was like on like a two year world tour right now. So yeah, there's, that's, there's amazing. Some, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. nice. Nice. <laughs> cool. So your time in that program, was that when you decide you want to do music as a full-time profession? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I was pretty clear on it even before that. I, I knew that's what I wanted, and I think I wasn't really sure if I would go to college because especially then the idea of going to college to be, you know, a singer-songwriter was kind of, does that really make sense? Uh, not necessarily, but since that program was so new, like I, it kind of just felt like this crazy opportunity, like to be able to study what I actually wanted to study and still get to go to school and get a degree. And yeah, that was really like, I do think of that time as kind of the actual start of my career, because that was the time that it was like, okay, now, you know, I'm in school and I have my, my GE classes that I have to do and all that stuff. But now my only real priority is bettering myself as a musician. Like that's what all my time is going toward. All my important work is going toward. So yeah, that was definitely like 
that was, I think the time for me that like marked a real change and like, this is what I'm doing. And, and that's when the road kind of really began, I think for me. Hmm. Who are your musical influences? Yeah, I, I think I have a bit of like some worlds that collide and, and one of them that I think is really foundational are the artists that my parents kind of grew, grew up, raised up me and my brother and sister on. So the two biggest really are Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown. Those were like, we were just, it was just constant. I feel like there are albums by them, you know, Blue and Ladies of the Canyon and Court and Spark and Late for the Sky and For Every Man and The Pretender, these albums that like, for me, that is what music is to me. Like I hear those records and it's like, I don't hear them the same way I hear other, other albums because to me it just, it's what showed me what music is. So it's like, they, they've evolved to me as I've gotten older, but, but those are the people who like, those are, my artists those are the ones that showed me the way really and i also i grew up really little listening to that stuff like you know i didn't it's not music marketed towards five-year-olds but that's what i was hearing in the car driving around you know in the canyons with my parents in the back of the car that it was just constant and then i was like really little in the late 90s and the early 2000s and so I definitely got influenced by the kind of crazy pop explosion that was happening at that time with like Max Martin and those kind of producers doing music for Britney Spears and in sync and the Backstreet Boys and Christina Aguilera, that kind of like, you know, I think that was kind of a reflection of like what Michael Jackson had done, but like a much more like teeny bopper polished, like sanitized kind of version of it. Um, and I really love, like, I, I was obsessed with Britney Spears when I was like a little, little kid. And she was, you know, a teenage girl at that time. Um, and so I, I got into pop and I got into like, you know, hooky, fun, dancey music that way. And um, I also really love the music that I kind of came of age and, and was like a young teen in the early 2000s there was a lot of like really cool rock music being made at that time and a lot of bands that i loved that were not quite as in the pop world but more in rock or emo or like pop punk and things like that and i really loved like fountains of wayne that's a huge one for me i was obsessed with them i loved fallout boy i loved my chemical romance and also, you know, there were girls like Michelle Branch, Liz Fair, Fiona Apple is a huge influence for me. I think she's kind of maybe the greatest artist of her generation. I think she's so incredible. And those things took more time for me to find on my own as a teenager. I started getting into like Arcade Fire. That was a huge band to me. There's a lot of great in like indie influenced rock happening at that time. The Shins and the Killers and all those bands that became so huge, but they started out in that kind of indie rock scene. 
So I loved that stuff. And I kind of missed that era too of, of rock being like really the, the big thing. So that was, that was, I, I always get carried away when I talk about artists I love, but I think like that Laurel Canyon thing and then the big pop thing when I was just like a little girl and then me kind of finding more like contemporary rock as I was a teenager. Those were kind of the three main things for me. Now you've been releasing music professionally under the name Ren Farron for the last few years, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So talk about that EP, Where I Am Wild. So that I actually made in college and it was technically my senior project for my degree. We all had to kind of come up with like, okay, what is the big thing we're going to do that that's going to get us to graduation? Um, and for me, I knew I wanted to make like uh, my first body of work and it turned into that EP. And I've honestly, almost basically everything I've ever recorded my second EP and my album I finished just recently. I'm hopping around a lot. Some of it's recorded in bedrooms. Some of it's recorded in nice studios that I've, that I've paid for or not so nice shittier studios that I've paid a lot less for, or, you know, sometimes they'll even be like, I think I've had one or two iPhone voice memo recordings that have creeped their way onto certain tracks. So like really chaotic, the process of, of making stuff, I think having like a huge budget and like being able to sit in a studio and be like, here's a week we have, we're doing this. That would be really cool. And I hope to do that someday, but I've always had to be a bit scrappier. So I did that with my friend, Brian Robert Jones, who was in my year in the pop program and who's the one that's now on tour with Paramore. And yeah, we recorded that basically my senior year. That was, we did it together. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was the first time I had really ever done that before. I'd recorded demos, but it was the first time I had full produced out tracks of my own and the first time I really released anything that went on Spotify and Apple Music and all those things and and submitting it all to different music blogs and trying to get written about and things like that. So it, that was like, it was a big first for me to release that. Just remember one thing, the Apple iPhone voice memo, mm -hmm. if it's good enough for Tom Morello, it's good enough for anybody. <laughs> I love that. Does he do that? He does do that. Wow. That's really cool. You know, that makes me feel better. Honestly, it does. Yeah. All right. Uh, would you say the song good girl has become your calling card for your career? I think it probably has. I think that has been the one that's gotten the most attention so far and kind of been the one that's stuck with people the most. And I think that's often the one that people, you know, will message me about or whatever and tell me they've been listening to it. And I really, really love that song. I really do. I think that honestly for me maybe was the first song I ever recorded that I felt like, man, if I heard this and I wasn't me, like I would love it. I feel like I don't, I don't always feel that way about my own music, but, but that song I felt really like connected to, really proud of. Um, and I think, I think it's like, it's a combination, that song, of, of 
it's a lot of anger about things that were at once really, really personal, like small scale things that were happening to me in my life. It was also a lot of political anger that I was feeling that I wrote it at a time that was really tumultuous for our country. And, and I had a lot of anger about that. I'm not a very angry person. And that song really isn't that angry. I mean, it's a pop song, but I think like, I was able to like channel some of that in a way that felt so satisfying. And I, I think that's something that people respond to is <laughs> some anger that like feels good to channel sometimes. Remember this Frankie goes to Hollywood was a pop group, but they put a lot of, a lot of angry lyrics in their songs. So yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, yeah. I do. I really like that. I like that in other artists as well, when there's kind of a, a contrast between what it sounds like and what's actually being said. That's like one of my favorite things. It just like, and I think a lot of people love that. So I yeah. like to do that a lot, whether it's anger or sadness or whatever it is, like having it be in a package that feels a certain way and then being like, whoa, like here's what this is actually saying. I always think that's really interesting. Okay, Devon Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here. But we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Ren Martinez. Make sure you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right. Cluzo style. Out with the bad air. In with the good. Out with the bad air. In with the good. Pay attention to a few friends of my show and we will be right back. Hello, Duval Nation. Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duvall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's betterhelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. Hey, it's Michelle Fabre, and you're listening to The Derek Duval Show. You can hear my brand new single, I'm All That I Need, on all streaming platforms right now. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own, with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. 
do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. This is Marielle Sanji, the author of The Absinthe Frappe from LSU Press. Have you ever wondered about the mysteries of absinthe? The spirit is packed with history, and in my book, I explore the myths and facts behind this elusive liquor. What is it about absinthe that appealed to artists like Vincent van Gogh? How did the absinthe frappe cocktail take the country by storm in the 19th century? Why was absinthe banned? And how were the restrictions on absinthe lifted? Dive into the world of absinthe in the absinthe frappe, available wherever you prefer to buy your books. This is Frankie Ray, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. My latest single, Over Now, is available on all streaming platforms. Hope you like it. everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 227 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with musician Rem Martinez. You mentioned it very briefly. Talk about the new album you got coming out. So it's called Fingers Crossed, and it's 10 songs, and... I've been recording it for years. It took a while. It was kind of interrupted by COVID and, and, and took a while to get back on my feet and finish it up. And I'm really excited about it. It's, it's like a pop rock album. I really like a lot of my favorite artists kind of can fit into that pop rock kind of genre. And there are a lot of other influences there as well. There's like, a couple countryish folkish kind of songs and there's a couple like R&B like hip hop sounding songs there's some really poppy songs there's some more low key songwriter like almost like grungy songs but i think it sounds really beautiful together it's really really personal 
I don't always write things that are personal. Sometimes I like to write something for fun from another perspective, but for this one, it's all really kind of straight from the heart. Each song, I could tell you exactly what happened in my life that inspired it. And, um, and I'm really, uh, I'm proud of the way that there's a lot of storytelling happening and that's, that was my goal. And I think, I think it's been achieved. I think I was trying to kind of make all these little vignettes, these kind of worlds you could step into where there's something different going on in all of them. And you can kind of live in them for a few minutes and then move on to the next. So that's, that's the experience I feel like I've had when I've been listening to it and getting it ready and just polishing it up. And I hope that that'll be the experience of the listener too. Okay. All right. What's it like to hear your music featured on TV shows? It's really crazy. It's really cool. It's a very cool feeling. That's been one of the funnest things for me really that I've gotten to experience like in my life. It's very trippy. I think the craziest placement I've ever had, like the one that was the most dramatic was on the young and the restless. And it was this scene where I didn't, cause you don't know what it's going to be when you, when you find out, you know, it's happening. And I finally saw it. And it was a scene where this woman, I, I could be misremembering the details. I don't remember the details of why, but this woman was in her apartment and she was having like a complete like mental breakdown. And she was like crying and freaking out. And she was, in my memory, she's like she's like ripping the curtains off of the curtain rods in her apartment. She's like tearing the place apart. She's in such distress. I don't remember why. But my song is it's called Dial Tone off my first EP is playing like really pretty loudly and for quite a while over this whole scene happening. So that was kind of the craziest one because it's really present, like soundtracking this woman's like total freak out that she's having um and then some of the other ones are you know it'll be like a scene where characters are in a bar or at a restaurant and it's just like the music playing so you can hear it in the background and that's almost even weirder because it's like it's just setting a scene as part of the kind of you know auditory buzz of normal life and and having it be in the background of just like you know, sometimes it's been a show I've I've watched. Like I had one on Hacks, that show, this HBO show about about comedy that I had watched the whole first season, and and then suddenly second season, I'm watching this character I've I've been following for like a year, and my song is suddenly in the background. It was it's really nuts. It's a cool thing for sure. Hmm. Okay, so I gotta know who is a musician that you would absolutely die to collaborate with? I love that question. There really are so many. I think I would say at this point, I would absolutely love to do something with Jackson Brown just someday. Like I really would, whether it was like having him sing on something with me or ever singing on something of his. There's this band that I grew up with that grew up in the same hometown as me, Dawes, that are pretty successful, like really great rock band, amazing songwriting. 
and they somehow like managed to befriend him and I was so jealous and they had it I think it was their second or third album I don't remember which that came out and I was obsessed with them so I would always buy their albums the day they came out and I'd listen to the whole thing all the way through and there's this song called Fire Away that they have and I'm listening to it and in the bridge there's these different beautiful background harmonies happening in the bridge and I was just like all of a sudden I was like just that thing I was saying before where I hear a voice that to me is like it's not even someone's voice. It's like the voice of music itself. Like I'm hearing the sound and I'm like, is that Jackson Brown? And then it keeps going and he has this little ad lib that he sings. And like, no one would ever know unless they're like a super fan of him. But I, I will never forget that moment of, of hearing that and just what it sent through me to realize like, these guys from my hometown they, that they've been writing these songs and releasing them and doing the thing like they just put out their like third album and and he's somehow he's part of it like he's on there and I was just like just full body chills and I felt so exhilarated and like I, I just brought me to tears and so I think like deep down I'm like even if it was just something like that like even just to have his voice on something of mine um, I really can't imagine anything better. Uh, and I would love to get to actually play live with him someday. I've seen him live probably like 14 times over the course of my life with my family or on my own. Um, so he's kind of just like, to me, he's just so special that doing anything with him would be amazing. Mm. I ask every musician who comes on my show this next question, and it's a sensitive one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What are your thoughts on streaming services? Yeah, <laughs> they're not great, honestly. I think at this point, you know, there's just so many things in the world right now that have taken this turn and gone in this direction of, of becoming digital and becoming like a utility that we pay for rather than something that we're purchasing on, on an individual basis. And I don't, I don't, you know, there's no use in not participating at this point, but I don't love it. It's not how I, even just as a listener of music, it's not how I like to hear stuff. It's not, it doesn't help me discover stuff. I do understand that like the fact that I can, if I can get it together to record something for myself, the fact that I can put it on a platform where anyone in the world can hear it, that is a huge privilege that we have that we didn't used to have. And so, you know, that's amazing. Although it of course then contributes to like massive oversaturation, but, but even so like that's a gift. And so I don't want to discount that, but, um, you know, I just think for me, like even just CDs, which I know so many people were like di the digital CDs and whatever. But like, for me, the act of like going into a space with $20 and saying to myself, like, okay, I can get two albums. Like, which ones am I going to get? And like combing through 
these shelves at, you know, I used to go to Amoeba sometimes. We used to have a place warehouse that was like a chain that that closed that was like a CD store. And like the amount of thought that I would put in as like a 10 year old kid into making those decisions and how important it was to me. Like there are days that I remember because there are days that I bought albums that changed my life. And I can remember making the choice in there and just being like, I really hope this is good because it's one of my two I get to get today. And like, you're way more invested in that than you are when you're just kind of like switching a lever and you have infinite possibility. You can turn anything off, change to the next thing. It doesn't matter. And I have trouble finding stuff now. I'm always saying to myself, like, I borderline I'm like I I would I fantasize about canceling it and just starting to buy CDs again because I still have a CD player in my car um, or or buying LPs because I have a record player just because I think like that's how you find your taste that's how you create taste in yourself is by making decisions about what you're gonna hear and how you feel about it and how it's gonna influence your next decision what you're gonna buy next time so. It makes me sound sound old, but I'm I'm like I, I feel bad for like young kids that like I'm sure there's so many teenagers that like have no reason to ever go into a record store. There's barely any record stores anymore compared to how many there used to be. So I don't love it. I uh, you know I clearly am not too worried about like angering anyone at Spotify by being <laughs> honest about it because I don't think they're, you know, paying attention to, they're not paying attention to artists anyway that aren't like really huge. So I wonder, like, I, I wonder if it'll be, if this is just the new way or if there will be some sort of reckoning about it because obviously it also doesn't pay. So right. we'll see. I'm not, um, I don't love it. I'm I'll do it as long as that's kind of that's the thing to do and that's the way to get heard, but I would not be sorry to see it change for sure. Yeah, the Coupetons the most important thing in life is not the triumph but the struggle. You get a chance to talk to your younger self. What would you say to her? Oh, wow. That makes me emotional to think about. I think I would tell my younger self she was going to become more and more of the person that she hoped to be. You know, I'm still very much at a place in my career where I'm very much struggling, very much striving. I have like really big goals and dreams and I'm, they're ways away in some ways. You know, the thing that's really clear to me is that the work is the most important thing the art you're making, that's the most important thing. The experience you have on stage, no matter what stage it is, like that's why you're doing it. That is, um, that's the point of a, of a career in music. So I think I would tell her like, the things that are most important, it's all up to you. You can have all those things. The rest of it, you know, hopefully will come. But I get to be the person and the musician that I want to be, regardless of of what the world decides about me. 
that's something I'm learning more and more. And I think it, it wouldn't hurt anyone younger, especially myself younger, to be able to, to have that in the back of their mind moving forward. Hmm. So apart from the new album, what's next for Ren? I'm going to play some shows in LA. I'm really excited to book them. I haven't booked them yet, but I'm just excited to play release shows. I think it'll be really cathartic and fun and I'll bring friends bands on and just try to have it be a party. I'd really like to get out of town a little bit too and start to play some shows in other cities because I haven't done that yet. And I know that it will be really wonderful once I get to do it. So I'm hoping this album can be a catalyst for that as well. And I'm going to be making some videos for the first time, some music videos, which I've never done. So it's going to be a lot of new stuff. I feel like the debut album, it's kind of the time to like pull out all the stops. So there'll be the songs themselves, but hopefully there'll be other news and more things coming out as well in the next like few months and into the summer. As we're into the final phase of the interview, I would like to ask one fun question. Ren, what do you like to do for fun? How do you like to relax? I, for fun, so many things. I love food. I love going out and eating delicious food. I love to read. I'm a big reader. And I, at this point, like, it's really helpful for me to do something that I cannot, like, watch TV at the same time or listen to a podcast at the same time. So I'm, I'm big into reading. I really love being outside. I love walking, running, hiking. I go to the beach when I can and force myself to jump in the freezing water. And I love going to shows. I love going to music shows, going to movies, going to comedy shows. I love watching other people do what they do. That's probably the main thing. I'm going to a comedy show tonight, actually. So yeah, there's a lot of things, but those are my main things hmm. I love to do for fun. Well, I'll be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online. So right now, all my social media is at Ren Farren, R-E-N-F-A-R-R-E-N. I'm going to switch it all to Ren Martinez because that's what my new releases will be under, Ren Martinez. But for now, it's under Ren Farren. That's where you can find me on Spotify and Apple Music as well. Um, just keep it in the back of your mind that when you hear about Red Martinez, that'll be me too. But all, right now, those are all my handles. So if you follow me at any of that social media, you'll be um, you'll be on the train when it all kind of transitions over. So why are you changing your name? It's kind of a boring, <laughs> like logistical story. I basically, when I first started. I was kind of, I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. And I first released music under just Farron. I kind of wanted to do like that kind of pop girl thing of like this one name thing. A lot of my artists I love, especially pop artists do that. So I did just Farron at first and that's, that's what I put my EP out under. And then I actually got a cease and desist letter from this duo that were these DJs in Mexico saying they were using this and I couldn't use it. And I was like, I had a lawyer at the time and I was like, do I have to listen? Like, this is my middle, is my middle name, Farron. And she was like, well, you know, if they sue you, you might have to like go to court. And I was just like, oh God. So at the time 
I thought, you know, it already started as Farron and I didn't want to just change it totally because I didn't want to lose that momentum. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just add the Ren on to the beginning there so that I've changed it. So I'm not going to get sued, but I, I don't have to totally switch it. Um, and I honestly just, it was kind of a roundabout decision. Like it's not something I organically really came up with. And I've loved Ren Farron, it's become really nostalgic for me, but if I'm doing like two like a first and last name, I'd rather just have it be the name I've always been and the name I grew up being and and that's the name I act under is Ren Martinez too. It's always been what I've what I've acted under and I don't really want to have like a separate acting name and a music name. So, it's a hard choice though. It's something I I was not totally sure about, but yeah, I feel good about it. It's kind of bittersweet to like, it feels like kind of closing the chapter on something in a weird way, but it's really not. It's the same, you know, body of work and the same through line. I think I'm just like, I want it to just be, you know, my first and last really. Okay. I am my interviews with my favorite question. Mm -hmm. And the question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so earnest. It's so hard for me to not come up with just an earnest answer. I really think, you know, for me, I think what I would say, what I think maybe it could help people to hear is that community is, is all we have. Other people are all we have. Be kind. Trust people if you can. Uh, expect the best from people, and you'll get it more often. I think um, connection, community, love, togetherness, <laughs> these, these are my priorities. So that was the wisdom I would impart on the whole planet if I could. All right. Ren, congratulations on this new album you got coming out. Good luck on the rest of your career, and thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. It's been nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 227. I want to thank Ren for taking the time to come on the show. What a delightful woman. And I do wish the very best of luck for her career. I listen to her music and she does indeed have a gift. I hope all of Duval Nation goes and checks out her tunes. Okay, tune in again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. We drop our episodes on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for those episodes to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have. So please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up today for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there, and we have everything without a logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, go to the banner at the left that says Merch, click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, I am down another five pounds. Weight Watchers is a wonderful tool, and if they are listening, I am open to sponsorship opportunities. I swear by them. If it's good enough for Oprah, it's good enough for Derek Duvall. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth.
This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.